You're listening to the Winter Hughes Podcast with Joe and Eric Hughes. And now, here's the Hughes Brothers. Welcome in to the Win or Hughes podcast, a Bay Area sports podcast that unfortunately this year has been very heavily focused on the Oakland A's. And unfortunately, Rick, that means we've been focused on a lot of stuff happening outside of the field, stuff that's not happening with the actual team that people want to watch. And, you know, I've been joking with people that I didn't get into baseball to learn this much about politics, let alone Nevada politics, but... Unfortunately, that has become the reality of being an A's fan here in 2023. So we're going to get into what uh, it was only a week. It felt like it was a lot longer than that with what happened and uh, the reverse boycott. And maybe one of the cooler things that I can remember doing at the Coliseum, that reverse boycott that happened. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about, you know, the latest with the A's in Las Vegas and, you know, any slim hopes that the A's may still have of staying in Oakland and, you know, why there's something about this whole project that just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And I think that there is some underlying unspoken thing that people in Major League Baseball, the A's ownership, don't really want to say out loud and tell us because there's something about what's happening in Vegas and with Oakland that just, it's not making a lot of sense. It's not adding up. And, you know, what's that X factor? What's that thing that we don't understand and don't know? It's something that they don't want to tell us. And that's part of the reason that this doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. But we'll get into all that. First, Rick, uh, just want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about the reverse boycott. On Tuesday, the A's had this reverse boycott. We talked with Stu Clary about the idea, where it came from, what the hope was. And, you know, just after we talked to Stu earlier this year, I think that what we saw was maybe even above and beyond what the expectations were with the turnout, the atmosphere, the energy. 27,759 was the official total of fans that got there. But, you know, I think there were some some people that probably got left in the parking lot because it was that dual event. But overall, Rick, just let's start with that reverse boycott, a really cool moment in Oakland. I want to give you a chance to give your thoughts and tell us about your experience with that. Well, I think you're right. The dual event kind of makes it hard to really kind of gauge the crowd that was out there. You know, I think you can typically look at the A's parking lot to kind of gauge the size of the crowd you're going to get. And another thing that was interesting was some of the A's fans that were there weren't really even planning on going to the game. They were planning on showing their support by hanging out in the parking lot and being seen. So uh, it, it was really great scenes, you know, for a really full parking lot. I know a lot of people were trying to tailgate and did as long as they could, but then, you know, people started really looking for parking to the point where they went into the overflow lot. So um, just the initial scenes were just awesome. Seeing the the big tailgate party uh, for the 68s and giving out the shirts. We got there a little too late to get a shirt. But it, w- it was really great to see so many people there. Again, a little bit of a bummer with the dual event, especially if you had to end up paying 40 bucks for parking there. Part of the big expense was the parking, and I know Bart said it was the second largest ridership they've had since March. A lot of people showing up, and I've gotten a chance to cover these big games, the playoff games, the big events. You know, I was there as a fan when Scott Hatterberg hit his home run and the A's won their 20th game, and I, you know, I was just thinking back about where are my favorite memories of being at the Coliseum, and this was very much on par with the 2019 wildcard game, also against Tampa Bay. Uh, where there was a lot of energy there. It wasn't quite on par with those playoff series against the Tigers when, you know, Mount Davis is open and it was just 
packed to the gills, people waving those towels. That was maybe the loudest, craziest environment that I've ever been there at the Coliseum. And so it was, you know, it it had a great crowd, 27. It was maybe a tier below that, but right there on par with that 2019 wildcard game. And I think one of the things that really struck me was how well organized this was. Like we, we, we gave a shout out to the Oakland 68s and, you know, how the hot dog guy and everyone was passing out those cheer cards. But that fifth inning moment when everybody was silent and it was quiet and, you know, a double gets laced down the line nothing nobody's cheering you know even maybe if there were tampa bay fans no one was on their horse everyone was kind of playing along with you know what their role was and then as soon as it happened you can hear the video which we even have on our youtube page of how quickly that built into the sell the team chance and that was maybe the loudest the ballpark was until the very end of the game i think it was really exciting to see the stadium that full to know that it wasn't because of the playoffs and because there was something on the line baseball wise but because it was a grassroots movement of fans that are rooted in oakland and really like you mentioned great organization there were people going around to different sections in the fifth inning going quiet quiet it's time to be quiet fifth inning and so <laughs> it really was well organized especially for a grassroots grassroots movement that started on twitter it was definitely a little bittersweet as well seeing that feeling the energy of the pack stadium when the the stadium thing is up there get loud big noise and then the next day you know my kids are going stay in oakland clap 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 so <laughs> it was a little bittersweet yeah. it was a little bit awesome to see the coliseum like that again and then for also that day to be the day that the bill continued to move forward when, you know, like you said, we didn't get into this to be experts on Nevada state legislation. Um, and I was recently in Las Vegas. I was in a room of close to about 600 Nevada locals or Las Vegas locals and talking to a lot of them and go just making, you know, big things like, oh, the bills died. You know, a lot of them were cheering. You know, I, I think in Vegas, there is a feeling that baseball would be cool. Um, but I do think that in general, they do want their own team, much like they have the Las Vegas Knights. And there is a lot of support for that when you kind of think like hockey in the desert, those don't really go together. But the Vegas fans, they do deserve baseball. Um, I do think like I, I, I can see the pluses of having a, a stadium on the strip. I just don't want it to be for my team, you know? So uh, that that's kind of where I yeah. am. And uh, yeah, a, a little bit bittersweet, but just really, really awesome grassroots movement and to see that play out in action. I agree with you that it was a little heartbreaking in the fact that we, we brought our kids, you know, and, and we had a buddy with us and ultimately was six kids and four adults. And what was really cool, all the kids had a great time because they were tapped into that communal experience that we've had you know, growing up and being mm -hmm. part of that and getting to go there. Because usually when we've taken our kids to games, there's 2,000 fans there. There's 5,000 fans. And, you know, that is a different experience. It's fun. They get to see Stomper. You know, they don't have to worry about running around. And, you know, you don't, you're not going to lose your kid in a crowd because there isn't one. And that's a little different. But mm -hmm. there's also a way different energy when the crowd is that big. And I think one of the cool things is there was a, a cheer for each batter of each inning. The first inning... And the uh, the first batter of the top of the half and the first batter of the second half of the inning. And that kept the energy constant. 
You know, it didn't have those lulls. Mm -hmm. Like when you go to a game, you're fired up to be there. And then, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth inning, nothing's really happening. And the game kind of dies down a little bit. That didn't happen in this game. It was constant with that energy because there was an engagement feature. And I thought that that kept the energy up. And, you know, like you were saying, it's bittersweet because our kids are just getting old enough that they're like really starting to like like that atmosphere to be a part of it to be you know conscious of those cheers and not just there for dot racing which is a lot of fun but mm -hmm. it's also hard to think like well what am i going to do now like am i going to keep bringing them out there so that we can you know milk the last you know remaining parts of this thing that has been important to us for a long long time or do I just start shifting my focus and, you know, telling, you know, my daughter and, you know, when we go out with your kids and things like not doing that as much because ultimately I know it's going to be painful for me and it's going to be painful for you. But, you know, do I want to keep building this thing up for them that it's, you know, pretty much looking like it's going to be taken away? I don't think, you know, they're old enough to fully grasp, uh, you know, what's going on and, and with the team and everything. But, you know, another thing that's got to be said about that night was it was a good game. You know, the, what was happening on the field made it exciting as well. And so I know uh, we left a little bit early. Some of the kids were um, Tucker and out there. And then, you know, the A's had a nice little surge. And because we hadn't heard it that full in a while, we were like, oh, that kind of sounded like a home run. And it wasn't. It was like, a, I think, a stolen third base, yeah. you know? And so I was like, wow, that's a big difference when there's a, a packed house. You talked about it. The game was so secondary. Like Hogan Harris, the, the rookie, comes in, pitches a great game, and it's like an afterthought. But you could see the emotion. Yeah. Like Trevor May closed that game out. It was intense. And, you know, for a team that doesn't have 20 wins yet, you know, a game like that doesn't mean that much, mm -hmm. but they had a win streak going on at that time and closing that game out, getting that win in that moment for all of the fans. It was one of those things because we've talked about it before in previous podcasts without Dave Cavill and John Fisher around the people that are left to answer these questions about what's happening, unfortunately, have become the players and the manager and they have nothing to do with the distaste that fans have right now towards the franchise. And I think our fan base is, you know, smart enough to know not to associate those two. And no one's going out there and booing those players because they know that they don't have anything to do with it. But there was a moment, and I know it's a new team, where it does connect the fans and the team. Because we've got a young team that, you know, aside from Seth Brown and Ramon Laureano, there's really not too many guys here that have seen baseball in Oakland for long enough to appreciate, you know, what it's like. Mark Kotze is one of those guys. And so you've got these young guys like an Estuary Ruiz or Ryan Noda that haven't had that same experience when the A's are good and the fans are showing up and getting all that energy. And that was really, for them, just like it was for my kids, their first taste of what baseball in Oakland can be like when it's done right. I wonder what is going to happen with Las Vegas. And... You know, I, I talked to a few people when I was down there, people that I was working with, some people that were Uber drivers. And I, I, I think there is a belief that a fan base will be built with kids that are six and seven and start going to games right now that in 10 years they'll get there. But I just kind of feel like, you know, they're going to get their quick bang for their buck. They're going to have their new stadium. You'll have the people that are like, hey, Guardians are playing Las Vegas. Let's get the boys together and take a quick little trip. 
I don't know how often that's going to happen. And I just feel like in a matter of time, A's tickets are what you're going to get after you sit through a little timeshare, 90 minutes, you get tickets to Benihana and tickets to an A's game. I mean, one thing that the A's paid lobbyists kept referencing is that they want this team to be in the 50th percentile for attendance. And they kept citing this number that they're going to average 27,000 and put that in the 50th percentile. It's a little hard to believe that number, given that the wiggle room is only 3,000 seats for a sellout. And there's a couple ways baseball is going to try to make this happen. And one way is season tickets, which they believe is going to be kind of a constant, like we've seen this with the Giants. When you look and the Giants have a, a crowd that they announce of 27,000 and you look and you're like, there's like 10,000 people there. It's because they've got a season ticket base. Those tickets are sold even if people don't show up. So they can still announce that. There's a lot of ways of massaging those numbers, but what doesn't make sense is those teams that average 27, they usually have a ballpark that seats 36 or 40, 43. So when they have a night on a Tuesday when they draw 14, they can make up for it because they've got a lot more wiggle room to go to. If you're the A's and you say we're going to average 27 and our ballpark only seats three th- or 30,000, you don't have that wiggle room. You've only got 3,000 to make up for those games that will inevitably happen when you're not as well attended. Even if you have a great initial season when there's all that buzz and a new ballpark and people are showing up, you know, over time, it's going to have a little bit of a lull. And the other thing, John Fisher has not shown a willingness to spend money since he's owned the A's, since he's owned the Earthquakes. His actions, his track record does not say, I'm going to now invest in this and spend money in the way that some in the Las Vegas or the the Nevada legislature believes that he will do. And they keep signing, well, there's a lot of pressure, you know, and Las Vegas won't take a loser. Really? You've got the Raiders. You know, what are they doing? And you're still showing up to support them? Yeah, of course you are. So it's a little different to hear that, that, hey, you know, there's going to be pressure all of a sudden to put this winner on the field. Why? Because John Fisher is going to be a revenue sharing partner. So he's going to get money from the owners. He's going to have a media market all to himself. He's getting money from Major League Baseball's media deal. So why would he feel the pressure? Because he's going to make money no matter what. And he doesn't have to worry about a lot of these costs that Nevada is putting onto themselves in this deal that they've made. John Fisher doesn't feel any pressure because he has people that take the pressure for him, Dave Cavill and Rob Manfred, and they're the buffers before that even gets to him. So, you know, it, there's been a lot of pressure on him right now with Oakland, with the fans, with 27,000 fans chanting, sell the team, sell the team. He doesn't care. You know, so I, I really don't think yeah. that he's going to care. Uh, I do wonder what will ticket prices be, you know, because like you said, I, I don't think that they're going to invest in the team and maybe they will, um, which would be another slap in the face. But I do think he's going to want to get some money back here. And I do wonder what those tickets are going to go for. And I do think they're either going to be dirt cheap because they just can't get people and they're trying to do the fan base or he's going to just have them at outrageously expensive prices to try and get some of this money back for, you know, going into the stadium here. And so I just wonder about that. I I, I don't know. It's it, it's just, you know, a bittersweet thing. It's one of those kind of hard to swallow pills, like you said, not being an expert in, in legislation, especially in another state and kind of thinking like, oh, the 
the bill died we're in the clear and then to go special session and to see like well so many of these people seem to be against this but then it is kind of like a, oh remember that stop sign you wanted in your neighborhood that you didn't get well we'll give you this and everyone starts getting those little things in their districts and next thing you know stadiums funded so We'll see what happens here. I know it's not all the way over yet, but a little bit. I am kind of tired of biting on the hopium and a little bit ready to just like, all right, let's start talking 49ers. Completely understandable, you know, and I I think that that's one of the things that it does get a little tiring. And as fun as the reverse boycott was, it was undercut a little bit by you had this great night. The buzz was still happening, I think, for a lot of people the next morning. And then that was the day that really things kind of came to a head in Nevada to wrap this up and to move that to the next step. You're right. They have legislation done. John Fisher still needs to secure the financing. Uh, Major League Baseball still needs to vote and allow relocation. The bill in Nevada does not specifically mention the A's. So at the very least, the groundwork is there for possible expansion if, you know, the A's were to wind up staying in Oakland somehow, though. Just hearing from Commissioner Rob Manford this week, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of optimism for a deal getting done there. And, you know, Rob Manfred had his press conference that was scheduled before the Nevada legislature approved that money. It was a regularly scheduled press conference as part of this owner's meeting. I don't think he did himself or baseball any favors. And if anything, it was incredibly petty and disingenuous his comments about the reverse boycott, what happened in Oakland, what's going on in Oakland. I think it backfired a little bit because we've seen Major League Baseball try to kind of censor and control their own media and their own narrative. But with social media, with major outlets not having to kowtow to leagues as quite as much as they used to have to, the coverage was not positive for Major League Baseball this week. You had the, the commissioner of baseball coming out, and I'll read you the quote right here. He said, quote, I think the real question is, what is it that Oakland was prepared to do? There is no Oakland offer, which is not true. There never got to a point where they had a plan to build a stadium on any site. Again, that's not true. Also, it's the A's plan, not Oakland's plan. The A's came to Oakland with this very complex deal that was going to have a ballpark on it, was going to have residential, commercial, and retail space all on a 55-acre area that the A's would have controlled. That was the A's project. Now, they proposed that before the pandemic. Things have changed. Interest rates have gone up. The cost of doing all that has gone up. But the A's did not scale back their project request for a ballpark-only site in Oakland at either Howard Terminal or maybe reconsidering the Coliseum site. Instead, they bolted to Vegas for this scaled-down project that we don't even know what it is. They have some AI-generated rendering that was way bigger than the nine acres that they've been given to build on. They don't have any blueprints built up. They don't actually have a cost. They're saying it's going to cost $1.1 billion, but how do they know that? Because they have no design on a ballpark other than some bizarre rendering that they put together that's way too big. So they're saying $1.1 billion. John Fisher still needs to finance all that. So you're right. It's not a done deal, but It's incredibly frustrating for a guy that didn't make his own money, inherited his money, bought this team that already existed, and is now looking at moving that away as though it's some like accomplishment. He's like, I built this thing. I'm taking it away. No, I have the money. 
I'm taking it away from you. And I'm going to do it in this way simpler project that I didn't try to do in the community that has housed this franchise for longer than I have been their owner. You know what's just crazy is remember the whole thing is crazy the whole thing is crazy but yeah i was gonna say remember when we started this podcast we kind of thought it would be like keeping an eye on the future keeping an eye on estu ruiz and and noda and you know seeing like hey let's you know keep an eye on this and in two years these guys can potentially be some you know big name players and now it's every time it's vegas it's every uh a's thread that i've seen on social media is about vegas and vegas and vegas and uh you know it's just it's a little frustrating because you know like we've talked about we're people that don't live in vegas we live in the bay area we like baseball for entertainment um we go to games we we spend money on tickets on food on all these other things and all these things are beyond our control um And there's kind of just like nothing we can do about it, you know, and it just kind of feels like a bad relationship at this point, you know, and it's like, look, we've been trying, you know, I, I, things aren't working, I guess, you know, like, I, I guess it's, I'm not the one you're looking for, but we've been trying, we're doing things and it's just not working out. And so it just kind of, in some ways, I'm just kind of over it, you know, and, and do I want to spend my time watching these games, you know, and, and there was a good little Phillies game on, on Saturday and going to extra innings, um, which, you know, they lost, but it, it does come down to like, how much more of my time do I want to keep investing in this, knowing that, you know, like we've already agreed to break up, but we still live together. So we're just waiting to like everyone moves out, something like that, you know, but it's just uh, it's a frustrating time. Yeah, it's tough because the love that fans have is not for the owner. You know, most mm-hmm. people have liked this team through different ownership group. You know, if you were born in it, you depending on when you were born, you probably experienced three or four different owners of this team. And I think, especially with the A's, is that there is a tie into this community of Oakland and the larger East Bay. It's a group of people that like identify as underdogs and still believe that they are great and can accomplish great things despite not having a full complement of resources available to them like you see in other places. And I think that that is one of those things, this thread that has tied people together. And what was really unique on that reverse boycott, looking around, filming around, it was a really eclectic group of people that were there. And that's one thing that Oakland offers that baseball has been looking for, at least what they say they're looking for, is diversity. And they're going to leave one of their most diverse cities and communities without really a lot of explanation about why. I mean, that's one of the things that we keep coming back to is there is something about what's happening in this whole project that doesn't make sense without something being said out loud. And John Fisher's not talking. Dave Cavill, for the first time in a long time, is not talking because when he has talked, it has not gone well for mm-hmm. the goals that the A's have of moving out of Oakland. And, you know, Rob Manfred's comments, as disingenuous as they were, remember, this guy's job is to defend the owners. He's not on your side. And what he has shown consistently in his time as commissioner is he doesn't care about the fans, not just Oakland, fans. You know, he called the World Series trophy just a piece of metal. He's belittling the championships, you know, the tra- the championship trophy of his sport in a way that, like, drew a lot of backlash. And, you know, there was the, the shot of him 
doing his backswing when there's like a labor negotiation going on where he's just not seemingly taking it that serious. And there's this thing that happens, and I, I know you're in a different area, but if you work in corporate America, there is this thing that happens with these managers at this top level where it doesn't seem to matter what their specific business is. They'll always talk about it. They feel like their skills are evergreen no matter what industry they're in and that the product doesn't really matter. The relationship with the customers doesn't matter as much. And they'll go on with platitudes and tell you the otherwise, but their actions don't back that up in the slightest. And Rob Manfred comes across as somebody who really does not seem to get his role in leading baseball the way the best thing he's done is the new rule changes. And I get that there was a lot of flash, you know, flack coming back from that. It's been a success, Mm -hmm. but the media deals, the changing media landscape and with like blackout still being a thing, what they are restricting you from being able to watch these sports and how you can communicate with fans. All of that is just telling that, that they are looking at themselves as like a group of owners And the fans don't matter. We're always going to be there. And they're taking fans for granted that we are always going to continue to come out. And I think long term, you're going to be looking at other leagues, maybe the MLS eventually eclipsing Major League Baseball in popularity and drawing fans away and drawing those media rights deals. Because, you know, right now, MLS probably has the best media rights deal with their deal with Apple right now of the major leagues. Maybe not as much as the NFL is making, but as far as the flexibility and the reach to watch those games... They're offering a deal that, you know, I think a lot of leagues are looking around thinking like that's something we need to get in on. Another thing I did want to ask you about is I, I wonder what happens next in Oakland if the A's are going to stay. I think what it's going to require is maybe somebody who's a potential owner of a team coming to Oakland, you know, quietly making a deal and then being able to come to Major League Baseball and, you know, have that kind of clout and those kind of relationships. You know, Joe Lacob is the name that a lot of people keep floating. And if Joe Lacob wants to find a way to keep the A's in Oakland and make that deal happen, you know, that's the kind of way I could see that this happening is, you know, either John Fisher's not able to get the money that he needs to be able to get this done. He kind of finds himself in scramble mode and maybe somebody else swoops in like a Joe Lacob that's able to present to Major League Baseball the financial backing that's required to do this and a relationship within the Bay Area. I know they left Oakland for San Francisco. It's a different situation, but, you know, would he have the clout to get that done? Like, that's the way I could see the A's potentially staying staying in Oakland. But just like you said, I, I don't want to buy too much into the Hopium. Honestly, at this point, I'm I'm watching some games, trying to take it game by game. We'll see what's going on here. Uh, it was great to get out there for the reverse boycott. Now I'm wondering, will the next one be my last one? Will that be the last game in Oakland? Which, you know, I'm seeing reports now saying that they will play in Oakland in 2024. I was kind of thinking, will it be the last one this year? I'm looking for kind of deals now. Like, uh, I think we saw a lot of people getting their tickets with the 2023 athletics code that apparently you get if you put tickets in your, your cart and you don't buy them right away. Apparently that's sent to you. Somebody shared that. And I think uh, a lot of people were getting half price tickets for that. So any other deals like that, that's kind of what I'm looking for at this point to just try and watch some baseball because I do it for entertainment and I don't do it to uh, to get into politics. So uh, I think that's kind of where I'm going to be going right now, taking a step back and, you know, 
trying to keep that same mantra that until the shovel's in the ground, yeah. I'm not kind of believing it, but also not trying to get so open that I, I, I fall for it again, you know? So we'll see. Lucy in the football kind of situation, you know? So I could understand all that and I wouldn't begrudge anybody who still wants to, you know, figure out a time to go take their kids out and go do that. And, you know, I'm sure that when we actually do kind of circle it, that this is going to be our last game in Oakland, I'm sure you and I will make a plan. Like we're going to do it one last time and go with our kids and have one last, you know, moment and enjoy this. And, you know, if it's not, and it was the reverse boycott was the last game that you attended, that's going to leave a good taste. If you want to remember, you know, that's going to be ending on a high, especially for this team, because there's not going to be a playoff game this year with this team. So I could see all that happening and, you know, I, I'm not going to begrudge anybody anyway for how they feel. If they're really hurt by this, they're done with the A's, they're done with baseball. I totally get that and I totally understand why that is a case for a lot of people because we've been forced for a lot of ugliness right now. We're seeing the underbelly and how the sausage is made and how ugly the business of baseball is when you're not able to just focus on the product on the field. There's not a lot there to be excited about, not a lot to root for, not a lot of things to find appealing. And I can totally find that out and, you know, agree with anybody who feels that way. But it's good to have a podcast again. You know, it's been a little while because, you know, you were gallivanting around Vegas, feet on the ground right by the Tropicana. You know, I was That's right, right around there. So, uh, yeah, I uh, research it for the podcast. I appreciate it. it. Yeah. Giving it really angry <laughs> vibes. And uh, so, yeah, no, the last thing I'll just say is uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads. All right. Well, happy Father's Day to you and the other fathers out there. This has been the Winter Hughes podcast, new episodes every Monday. And, you know, hopefully we do find some uh, good, positive things to talk about. And, you know, we'll figure out what's next for this community. I think that's going to be another focus as you were talking about the future, not just with these young players in the A's, but the future of this community of A's fans and where they go from here if or when the team heads to Las Vegas. But we'll save that for the next podcast. You can find us on social media at Win or Hughes on Twitter. You can find me at Vegas Joe Hughes, which is just an unfortunate name that lasted. It was a long time ago, well before the A situation. But you can find me on Twitter at Vegas Joe Hughes. New podcast out every Monday. We'll also have this available on YouTube as well. Thanks for listening and like and subscribe. Thanks for listening to the Winner Hughes podcast. Make sure to like and subscribe.